Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley bringing you the best of my Times Radio show Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Well, it's the end of the week, so we obviously had a bit of fun. We rewrote Christmas songs for an age of coronavirus. Mitch Ben rounded off the week with a song. We also played the quiz, Can You Get to Number 10? If you want to uh, take part in that, if you think you could go all the way to answering 10 questions and become our show's Prime Minister, get in touch, email me, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on the radio uh, very, very soon. But loads of data around today about the economy, the impact of coronavirus on the economy. This talk of tax rises, a talk of tax cuts. What does all this mean for your own personal finances? We try to answer some of those questions on today's show. Now then, we thought our big thing today would take a look at the economy, coronanomics. What exactly is uh, going on? Last month, we officially entered the first recession in 11 years. Millions of people have had their wages paid by the government and there were worries that unemployment will rocket once that furlough scheme ends next month. So what is on the horizon for the economy as we try to keep economically afloat while also try to keep coronavirus under control? Well, we're going to try and spend the next half an hour understanding what's going on, who's going to be impacted and what we can do about it and what it might all mean for your personal finances. If you've got any questions, actually, about your own uh, money matters, we're going to speak to, at the time, his very own personal finance uh, guru, Georgie Frost, uh, in a few minutes' time. So if you've got any questions, then you can text me 8722, start your message with the word times. Uh, or tweet me at Times Radio, and I'll put some of those uh, to her. Uh, we're also going to speak to the Institute of Fiscal Studies and the Resolution Foundation. But uh, with me for the whole of the next half an hour uh, to guide us through uh, what is going on, who better than Times Economic Editor Philip Olgic? Morning, Phil. Morning, Matt. So, interestingly, I mean, there's a whole load of data that's come out today from um, the ONS talking about how almost half of businesses have reported their turnover is down compared to what it would be normally. But then, interestingly, 13% say it's up compared to what they would be normally. So give us an overview of the economy um, and who's doing well and who's doing badly. Yeah, it's very sectoral uh, dependent. So the overall the overall picture obviously has been a disaster. It was, we basically lost about 25% of GDP. We went back to 2003 levels of GDP 
in between March and April. That's just two months. Um, and it has been recovering slowly since then. Um, but, you know, there are particular sectors of the economy which are doing perfectly well. There's elements of retail, obviously, the technology sector is doing well. Um, but the, the the areas which are social, uh, the sort of social facing, human facing, uh, predictably, they're, they're, they're really struggling. So, you know, the ONS data <coughs> has been showing in recent because um, this stuff comes out every week. It has been improving week on week. Um, and there's some really striking numbers, actually, in some of the data today, which shows that the number of company incorporations is higher than usual. And the number of corporate company insolvencies is or dissolutions of companies being closed is, is lower than usual. So there are there are strange things going on in the economy, which not obviously explainable. But, you know, the, the overall picture is where where heavily in underwater and uh, the recovery is is has been picking up month on month the the quarter to september the the, the three months through to the end of this month are expected to show uh, really quite rapid growth the big issue really is not how far we fall and how far we rise that's the v but it's how much is left at the end of that which we haven't recovered um and there's a you know bank of england economist like uh, jan vlieger i uh, think we're going to end up with about 5% of GDP short of where we were, which is, you know, to put it in context, the financial recession was, uh, financial crisis was was about a 6% recession. So uh, it's, even when we've recovered much of this V, it's still not going to look pretty. Although that sounds more, you sound more optimistic than I was under the impression we should be about the economy, the, 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 uh, it being, you know, a bit, uh, like the 2008 uh, recession um, doesn't sound quite as bad as some of the apocalyptic predictions that we heard earlier in the year? Well, I mean, I mean, not, had, not that a 5% shrink a in the economy is... is yeah, yeah. In, uh, in, in growth, in, G, in GDP. So, I mean, it is, it is the deepest recession in a century. Um, but it all happened just because of lockdown. If you shut the economy down, you, know, you turn it on off like a switch, you turn it on like a switch and a lot of it comes back. It's the it's the lasting bit that is really going to be the, the the meaningful element, and then that obviously is going to depend on jobs and and there is and there's a lot of pessimism and and rightly so there should be there's a lot of concern about you know what the jobs outlook is because we've lost um, the official unemployment numbers don't capture the the the, the uh, job situation they show that really unemployment hasn't changed but this is at three point nine percent but this is because of the furlough scheme but. The payrolls, company people on company payrolls, uh, has fallen by about seven hundred and fifty thousand since the since the outbreak in began in March and um, well hit the UK in in March. So and there are certainly concerns, obviously, as furlough is finally completely ended by the end of October, that you're going to see that rise and and we'll we'll get unemployment up to sort of seven and a half percent. If it went up to ten percent, you'd be back at nineteen eighties levels and. You know, then you're then you are looking at kind of p- these fears of the mass unemployment and that itself causing a, a deeper recession becoming a major a major issue. So I mean, there's, it's it's pretty bleak when you look at what's happened in terms of you know the the scale of of lost output on a, on a by the end of the year will be sort of roughly equivalent to what happened in the financial crisis. But that was, if we remember, a pretty horrific experience. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Well, this is Phil Aldrich, though, our economics editor. He'll uh, stay there, uh, Phil, because we'll come uh, back to you. But let's focus on exactly what the government can do. What are the options? Earlier, I spoke to uh, Paul Johnson from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. And I began by asking him exactly what options there are for Rishi Sunak. Well, I think the first thing to say is I don't think he's going to be thinking very hard about tax increases, which is what's been in the press over the last couple of the weeks. He's going to be thinking about that maybe in two or three, four years' time, but not at this budget. What he's going to be doing in the short run is actually probably the reverse. Uh, Does he need to continue with some of the tax cuts that he's already implemented? Do we need to continue with the stamp duty holiday? Do we need to continue with the VAT cuts that he put in place in the summer, given that the economy may still be pretty shaky by next spring. Does he want to add anything to that? Does he want a wider VAT cut? Does he want to cut in employer national insurance contributions to encourage more employment, given that we're expecting a spike in unemployment? Is he thinking of extending some of the employment schemes that he's put in place, the kickstart scheme for young people and some of the Uh, investment schemes to uh, employ more people in green and other infrastructure schemes. I think it's all at the moment going to be about supporting the economy through either more targeted tax cuts or more targeted spending increases. And when he's weighing those things up, how much is he worrying about uh, the cost of those things and the the potential uh, adding to to the national borrowing and the deficit. Is that something that he needs to worry about right now? Or is it a case of get through the troubled times and worry essentially about how to pay for that later? I think at the moment, it really is about getting through the troubled times and worrying about paying later. What he doesn't want to do is make commitments which will involve big increases in spending or lower tax into the long term. And there's some risk of that. I mean, when you do things, some of the things he's done, like increase benefits. It's going to be really hard to cut those again. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to put taxes uh, back up. So he's going to keep, want to keep an eye on making promises which look like they're going to have to be continued um, forever. But if he's fairly confident that any promises he makes are for six months or 12 months and then can be stopped, uh, then that adds to the outstanding debt. But it doesn't add to the uh, the deficit, going, the annual deficit going forward. And indeed, if it supports the economy and get things going back on track, it may keep the future deficit uh, down somewhat. So within reason, and it's quite hard to define what within reason is, given the uh, scale of borrowing this year anyway, within reason, I don't think he's going to be terribly worried about adding further further to, to the debt in the short run. What I think he is worried about is how to deal with it later on. Obviously, one of the most eye-catching things that he's announced, which is going to be coming to an end, is the furlough scheme. Labour Party putting a lot of pressure on the government to extend it. Is is that a sensible use of money? I suppose the problem is if by if by now uh, people haven't been able to go back to work, it's it's possible those jobs are not sustainable in the long term. But obviously, there's a political risk in suddenly Rishi Sunak is personally responsible for those people finding themselves out of work. Uh, well, I think what you say is exactly the problem. If you've Uh, If by the end of October, there are still people who then by then for whatever it is, eight months have not been in in work, there is a reasonable chance that those jobs are not going to come back at all. And the the taxpayer paying to keep people associated with jobs, many of which will um, disappear as soon as the furlough scheme ends, 
really does not just look like a, a, a waste of money. It also may be slowing down the point at which people then start looking for other jobs and the economy gradually begins to adjust to the new normal. Now, it may be that there are particular jobs or regions or sectors where you might want to continue support where you really are quite confident they'll come back eventually. But because of the current restrictions, they're not going to be there. You can think of some things in uh, the entertainment um, industry, for example, where um, you, know, you can't have live uh, live music or, or, or what have you, where we hope to goodness they will come back eventually, uh, where you might want to keep them going for now. But have the blanket furlough scheme, particularly now we're a few months past the blanket lockdown, um, begins to look like something that, well, certainly looks like something you can't keep going forever. And there's a tension, I suppose, as well, between, uh, you know, bo- a happy, optimistic Boris Johnson trying to tell us, you know, all being well, things will be back to normal by Christmas, he used to say, and now it probably won't be Christmas. And the sort of the shifting deadline, that makes it quite business difficult for business to plan if, you know, originally we thought that it'd be a short, sharp lockdown and all would be back to normal, and then that clearly wasn't the case, and then actually maybe it's not going to be Christmas and maybe it might be spring or maybe it might be next summer, and, and that's really difficult for businesses to plan, isn't it? It's really hard for, for business to plan. It's really hard for them to know whether to be planning on keeping people at home for the foreseeable future or whether to be investing lots of money into making offices safe or indeed how to do that. I mean, the guidelines on that are as an employer myself, um, completely baffling. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the uncertainty around, you know, if you're a, a business supporting you know, office workers in central London or centre of other cities, uh, the uncertainty about when that's going to get back to normal is, is completely crippling, actually, because this is, um, this is something where we don't know when. We, we really don't know when things will return. I mean, it, it looks extremely unlikely that that will be before next spring or, or summer and who knows how how long it will be after that if we don't have um uh, ha- have a vaccine uh, and and i think people's expectations have developed over this period i mean it looked like as you say initially uh, a short sharp lockdown and now it looks like a really quite protracted period in which uh, behavior is different very different from what it was beforehand and businesses are having to be ready to deal with that for the foreseeable future, but also the possibility that, you know, uh, sometime early next year we'll be getting more back to normal. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. After this.
That was Paul Johnson from the Institute for Fiscal Studies. I spoke to him earlier on. Uh, Phil Aldrich, the economics editor, is still uh, with me. <laughs> what did you make, make of that, Phil? The, 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 particularly the, the issue about it's quite difficult for businesses to plan. We're in a slight sort of period of stasis or limbo at the moment, aren't we? We've got the, the furlough scheme, which is disguising the... Um, impact on unemployment but then we've also you know there are lots of businesses who may well be hanging on thinking well if we can get through to christmas that'll be all right but actually they you know this might go on for months and months into the next year as well yeah which is exactly why um you know paul's paul's right that tax rises now or the threat of sort of imminent tax rises is just going to cause problems for these businesses um there's there's even talk at the there's even talk that the minimum wage will uh, there's an increase coming in April next year and that rise will be scrapped. It's anything that can provide businesses sort of confidence to retain jobs by managing their costs lower um, would be uh, you know obviously is extraordinarily helpful. Some of the measures which uh, Sunak has announced, the Chancellor has announced, um, they actually do last beyond the end of the year. You've got um, you've got business rate. Uh, business rate support for small businesses which which get into the first few months of next year and there's there's VAT uh, holidays which um, may could which could easily be rolled forward a few months because those don't have to be uh, paid until uh, the first few months of next year as well there's a so there's so the furlough scheme is the big one obviously that's providing the most amount of support to businesses but there is, you know, they have been given a, you know, a fair amount of warning um, uh, that this is, I mean, it's, it was a sort of three month uh, gradual withdrawal. So, so the, you know, the, the ambition has been to, to sort of provide a, a form of a roadmap for companies. You know, everyone is living with uncertainty now, Matt, aren't they? I, I mean, it's just part of part and parcel of, of, of running a business. And I remember back in 26, 17, shortly after the Brexit um, uh, in the Brexit referendum, I was in Davos and there was a lot of businesses who were just saying there it was too uncertain to do anything. And by 2018, they'd all said the uncertainty is still here, but, you know, we just got to get on with it. And, and they were all they're all just they're all just sort of managing through the uncertainty. And I, th- I think, you know, they'll they'll do something similar. Obviously, this is more critical, but um, I think that they'll they'll find ways of just sort of managing uh, with the uncertainty. Yeah, you can't be on hold forever. It was interesting. Exactly. In um, this uh, uh, Office for National Statistics uh, survey out today, they've said that uh, in mid-June, two in ten people thought it would take more than a year for life to return to normal. And now it's not going up to three in ten. So people have just thought, well, if this is going on for a long time, uh, then we'll just have to adapt. Let's bring in uh, Torsten Bell from the uh, Resolution Foundation. He's got a report out today on how young people are at the highest risk of unemployment in the next phase of the pandemic. Morning, Torsten. Morning. Explain what uh, you've been finding by looking at sort of all the all the government help that's in place. Well, broadly, what we've done today is to step back and say, look, the government has announced unprecedented measures to support the economy over the last six months. Who's benefited from from them? And as you say, the job retention scheme is the single biggest one. And because young people work in the sectors most affected by this crisis, they have been the biggest, the most number of people that have been furloughed. So that is um, good news. Uh, but other schemes like the increase in benefit generosity have helped more middle-aged families, uh, people in their 30s, while actually the cash that's been given to the self-employed has tended to be most focused on older workers who are more likely to be self-employed in the first place. And uh, what is there anyone who's sort of really falling through the cracks? Well, the scale of the crisis is so big that, yes, there are people falling through 
cracks left, right, and centre. So <laughs> young, self-employed people who hadn't got round to, you know, having haven't had several years of uh, filing tax returns aren't eligible for the self-employment support. H- higher income people who earn over fifty thousand pounds that are self-employed have had zero in support and there are people who thought they were you know employees but maybe because they were too recently started at their firm weren't eligible for the job retention scheme so there are people all over the place that have fallen through the cracks because of the scale of the number of people that the government is trying to support and is it is that just an inevitable consequence of a massive crisis is there is there a gap is there a crack if you like that you think the government could be doing something about what i think it's inevitable that in the early phase of the crisis, when the absolute priority was to start getting funds paid to as many people as possible, that we did end up with imperfections in schemes. And I think that was a result of both the speed, but the need to get the operation up and running quickly. I think it's less forgivable. You know, what, what have we learned and that we should have already known, which is that you know this was never going to be a V-shaped recovery in the sense that some people talked about. You know, history of pandemics teaches us that it goes on for considerable periods of time. People's like the last year or six months has really been an, an exercise in everyone's expectations being slowly crushed over time about how long this was going to go on for. There was another round of that yesterday as people see that we're going to spend the autumn with more severe restrictions to keep this virus under control. So when we need to bring in other levels of support for people in the months ahead, we have less excuse for those gaps persisting. So, for example, if we do, and hopefully not, but if we did need to move to another proper national lockdown, we shouldn't just repeat the policies exactly as they were used previously. For example, we need to make sure there are fewer gaps in the self-employment scheme, but we probably also should only be paying the money to people that have actually been affected by the crisis. Oh, it was really good to speak to you today. It's a really interesting uh, report from the Res- Resolution Foundation. Their chief executive there, Torsten Bell, talked to me. Uh, Phil Aldrich's still here. I want to talk a little bit about how work is changing. This latest survey from the ONS saying that 11% of the workforce are on partial or full furlough leave. Um, so, you know, th- when that scheme comes to an end, uh, it's obviously worrying what's going to happen to them. But also 36% of the workforce working remotely instead of their normal place of work. Only half of people now back at their normal place of work. Um, what will happen? So if half are already back at their normal place of work, what's going to happen to the other half, do you think? Is it, has the way, is the jobs market changing more than just, well, you you know, you either get laid off or you don't? Is the Is the workforce changing as well? Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm speaking from home because I'm I'm working from home today, just like you know, millions of people. Um, the uh, it, there's clearly going to be more working from home, more remote working, which uh, is going to have a is going to have a big impact on the on. There's a sort of there's a there's a sort of second secondary impact here because obviously if you're not in sort of office districts, there are businesses there which depend on the office workers um coming in for lunch or going out in the evenings um and so it's really my my life may not change that much um and other uh, but it's the fact that i'm not in the office that's what's going to change the sort of shape of working life and you could see you could you can see there's going to be a shift more to the to local away from central um uh and uh and as and also this is going to have an impact on you know, c- commercial property landlords. Te- you know, the the price of you know, rents for um uh, for retailers they're going to drop. We're seeing fewer 
people in uh, going to going to the shops. Therefore, there's going to be fewer workers in in shops. And you know, there's already been visibly mass redundancies. Meanwhile, in in the retail sector. Meanwhile, Amazon is um, hiring ten thousand people for its warehouses. So you've got to shift from sort of you know luxury center, expensive central uh, city locations to cheap. Um, Sort of uh, much more automated warehouses. I mean, there's, there's, there's just there's going to be this shift in the way people in the jobs that people are going to be doing, and the, the difficulty is that um, the people who are doing, say, the sort of the the, the checkout person at the local retailer or, or you know Zara in central London, is um, not going to probably go off to uh, an Amazon warehouse in Swindon and, and, and start uh, packing goods. So you're going to get uh, people losing their jobs and probably having to retrain in different, in different, different sectors. Uh, work. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a sort of pretty dynamic environment for a while. Well, thanks for filling us in on that. That's Phil Oldrick, the times economics editor, talking about the economy in a sort of macro sense, but what does all this mean for our own money? What should we actually be doing with our money? In this ONS, uh, loads of data out from the ONS today, but looking at the number of people who uh, could cope with an unexpected but necessary expense of around £850, well, uh, there's been a uh, rise in the number of people who basically uh, wouldn't be able to cope uh, with that. 41% of those aged 30 to 59 and 36% of those under 30 wouldn't be able to cope with an unexpected expense. Well, you know, that might be your boiler blowing up or, or uh, whatever it uh, might be. Well, uh, here, here to talk money matters at uh, the Times Money Mentor, Georgie Frost. Morning, Georgie. A very good morning to you. Uh, so um, I don't know if you've seen these uh, this ONS data today about um, people um, not being able to afford, uh, you know, what they call an unexpected but necessary expense. Mm. With your money mentor hat on, how much money should we have in our savings, you know, for, for the unexpected when it hits? Goodness. Well, we hear this a lot, don't we? So in the good times, they say between three and six months of your outgoings. And with that, they mean all the things that you have to spend, your rent, obviously, or your mortgage, your mobile phone, all that sort of thing. Three to six months for a lot of people is just eye-wateringly un. un- unachievable so i would just be uh that is what your average personal finance journalist will say i'll say look do what you can especially we've just heard phil there we've just heard torsten we've heard all of these people talk about what's coming or what could be here if you're in a position to save for goodness sakes do saving rates at the moment are absolutely pitiful but but it will like you said the boiler going or losing your job giving you that free that time to look around for something else that it gives you some freedom. So as much as you can is what I'll say. The official, what we all personal finance love to talk about, is that three to six months. But I understand the pressures that people are under, particularly at this time, to just do what you can. Yeah, exactly right. And obviously there are already some people who are struggling. This survey showing more people are also having to borrow money, never mind saving any. Uh, one in eight uh, saying they've had to borrow m- uh, money or use a credit card more than usual by the end of July uh, since the uh, the coronavirus pandemic hit. Parents particularly affected, one in five saying they've had to borrow uh, or use credit cards more than normal. That's a worry, isn't it? That, that, that Far from people being able to save right now, they could be storing up problems borrowing money whacking stuff on credit cards hoping you know when we all thought that the um crisis was perhaps going to be short-lived you know it'd all be over in a couple of months Mm. stick it on the credit card it's all right i'll be able to pay it off again but actually 
month on month on month, that's storing up big problems, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is a tale of two halves, and I don't want to focus just on the negatives. Yes, there are some negative figures out there, but also there's a lot of stats showing off how we paid millions off our credit cards during lockdown. A lot of people were saving. We've got a lot of money in savings accounts at the moment. So that's the positives. This is definitely so far a tale of two halves, but don't think that won't seep into other areas. If you have, for example, job losses in the tourism industry, don't think that that will impact absolutely everywhere else. So just be mindful full of this yes a lot of money um, is being spent we've had a lot of mortgage payment holidays we know we're in recession or we're probably out of it at the moment but officially we're in recession at the moment we can't really tell so much but just take a look around you the jobs is a bit of a lag that's why what phil was saying about the number of job losses isn't quite representative of probably what is out there at the moment but there's going to be a lag and just notice around you the fact that you know, i don't know if you notice this but on linkedin people are looking for jobs obviously businesses are still shut at the moment people putting more money on credit cards come the end of october when the furlough scheme ends when mortgage payment holiday ends when credit card payment holiday ends all of these are available at the moment think twice before you do it because remember interest does as a crew and you will have to pay it back but there is going to be a drop off after october so if you're in a position to get yourself in a better position do it now i know the government wants us to get out and spend or do they or don't they they want us to stay in i don't know what they want i think they want us to do something with money which involves spending it um, however what i will say is counter to what the government say look after your own finances first get yourself in a good position and then for goodness sakes go out to eat out to help out and do whatever you like but um Right now, just focus on spending. And I will say with credit cards, the zero balance transfers, a lot of people use these to um, consolidate their debts, to pay off their debts. We're seeing those disappear as well. So it might not be so easy to move your debt about. Move your debt about. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> thank you, Georgie Foss, the Times Money Mentor, uh, talking uh, through what we should do with our personal finances, because sometimes we talk a lot about uh, what we should soon actually be doing with the nation's finances, but uh, good to focus on our personal finances uh, too. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. <laughs>